Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Club Soda podcast. I'm Drew Yeager. Club Soda is all about helping you live well by being more mindful about drinking. So if you want to choose better alcohol-free drinks, make connections or discover how to change, this podcast is for you. And if you want even more good stuff, come and find us at joinclubsoda.com. If you've read any Quitlet, it's pretty likely that Catherine Gray's book, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, was near the top of your reading list. Her first book was a Sunday Times bestseller, and it's a really honest look at the ups and downs of quitting drinking. And Catherine's got a new book out, which she's here with us to talk all about. So um, welcome, Catherine, to Club Soda Podcast. Thanks for having me, Drew. Um, and uh, so really excitingly, I, um, your book, your original book, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, I think is one of the books that gets talked about most in the club sober community. So it's really exciting, I think, that you've got a new book out and congratulations on it. Um, could you just give us a brief intro? Just tell us a bit about your new book and where it came from. What's it about? Yeah, sure. So um, the new book is kind of a sequel to The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. Um, And I never intended to write it. I kind of thought that um, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober was it. (laughs) That was um, the bulk of what I was going to learn about alcohol and sobriety and, you know, being a a semi-functioning teetotal adult. I won't say fully because I'm not there yet. Um, and, but then that was really naive of me because in the first four years, I did learn a heck of a lot, but I've learned just as much um, and probably some of the deeper stuff in the past four years because I'm coming up on eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um So, and I found that I couldn't stop talking about people who follow me on social media may have noticed about alcohol and sobriety. So it wasn't something that I stopped having things to say about and wanting to learn about. So Mm -hmm. it it just sort of happened, um, the sequel. And yeah, but I think that's it now. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's it yeah I think I think I'm done I want to move on to other topics and yeah. write some fiction but yeah. yeah it's it's um it's what you learn in long-term recovery that sums it up best yeah brilliant I and mean, we'll come on to talk about that and the new book but I think you know in the club side community we've got all sorts of people at all sorts of stages in their journey of change and changing in different ways people cutting down taking breaks stopping for good um a whole spectrum and at, at different stages as well so i think it would probably be really useful for those who haven't read the original book the unexpected um joy of being sober uh, sorry this is an impossible question could you give us a really <laughs> super quick recap of what you think are the really essential things for people to know when they're right at the beginning of this journey of change from from your own experience what what did you learn right at the very start as you were as you were tackling the subject of changing your drinking oh I'll try my best (laughs) I I would say one of the top things to learn to remember first of all is not to get too caught up in labels Mm -hmm. and whether you think the labels apply to you um because that that I think because when I quit drinking in 2000 and 13 it, it, it was not the landscape that we have now I'm, I'm pretty sure club soda didn't exist yet it was very much you only quit drinking if you're you know you identify as an alcoholic mm-hmm. and you and that's a terribly sad thing that you're now going to be sober which is why I wrote the book in the first place because I was like what I'm so much happier mm-hmm. so people need to know that um and so I think 
the resisting the label and also not feeling like the label applied to me maybe kept me drinking for three or four years beyond um, what I really should have mm-hmm. um, because it was so black and white and drinker or um, sober person. And, and now everything's become blurred in a good way. And all, all of these people are going sober just because it's a positive lifestyle choice and they're growing yeah. about it and they're being supported socially, mm-hmm. which is just so beautiful to see and such a massive change from 2013. Yeah. Um, so I would say don't get too caught up in the labels. All you need to really think about is um, which way of life are you happier in? Try both. Choose the one that you're happier in. It's as yeah. simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. You know, people do get very, and you, you talk about this in, in your latest book as well, people get get hung up on that word alcoholic and actually yeah. can use it as a defence. You know, at least yeah. I'm not an. Yeah, um, so, so I therefore, you know, in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. I, 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 my problem isn't serious enough for me to deal with, even though it's causing me significant difficulty um, and, yeah. you know, sometimes physical harm, you know, at least I'm not an alcoholic. So, you know, I'm just going to park it over there as something to not deal with. So I, I really appreciate that kind of, yeah, that flexibility around language, as you say, it not being a barrier. If there's a problem, do something about it. Don't, you know, worry about what it's called. Yeah. And, and also I would say that, to recognize that moderation is not the norm. Um, actually, moderation is rare. I, I can count on one hand the number of people I know who can successfully moderate and do so regularly, um, you know, who will go out and have one or two drinks. People just don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's because when you start drinking, I mean, drink responsibly is a misnomer. When you drink, you become irresponsible. It's just the nature of alcohol. It lowers your inhibitions. It makes you um, take riskier decisions than you would do when you're sober. So mm-hmm. it, it's something that once you start, you're more likely to have a few or, you know, in my case, five or six. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say if um, the people who are cutting down, if they're finding it really difficult to moderate, then recognize that it's a really fiercely difficult thing to do. It's it's not actually something that the vast majority of um, us do. The average Brit actually drinks 26 units a week, which is mm-hmm. not moderation. It's, you know, because recommended cutoff is 14. So recognize that it's it's fiendishly difficult <laughs> yeah it's one of the things that i say to people you know because we in club soda we do support people you know however they decide that they want to change but one of the things i do say to people about moderation is that your your intention to have a couple of drinks is a really easy intention to have until mm. you've had a couple of drinks exactly so. <laughs> and it's the, the irony is none is easier than one because yeah. one erodes the ability to say no to two and two practically decimates the ability to say no to three. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there that can say no, but I, I really, they really are in the minority. So yeah, just being aware of that, because I think we are sold this um, myth and misconception that moderation is very easy and we're failing if we can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think as well, I mean, that whole language of failure, I think is really unhelpful anyway, because, you know, and I think as you, um, you, you know, you reflect in your experience of being somebody who um, attempted to moderate 
Um, and you know, yeah. is that we keep trying, right? Whether we are going <laughs> alcohol free or whether we're moderating, however it is that we're changing, there's something that motivates us to keep going and to keep trying. And actually, yeah. all of those experiences of not getting it right are really valuable because we can learn something about ourselves in that process. You know, however it is that we're changing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I tried every tactic going to try and moderate mm-hmm. and it would work for a while and it would slide out of my grasp. And I, I reckon I spent, yeah, three or four years just trying to hang on to alcohol, trying to keep it in my, in my life because I'd been sold this notion that um, being sober was terribly sad. Mm-hmm. So I really resisted that with all my might. Um, and now, of course, I know the truth is quite the opposite. So. Yeah, yeah. Which, which feels like a, a nice segue to your um, to your latest book, which has got a really a, a curious title to ask you about, which is Sunshine, Warm, Sober, Unexpected Sober yeah. Joy That Lasts. Can you tell us a bit about where that, that title and where it comes from? Yeah, it sounds a bit Gilmore Girls, a, bit, a little bit twee. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, my original subtitle, but it got scrapped, unfortunately, was A Repost to Stone Cold Sober Propaganda. Um, I think it was seen as too radical, <laughs> um, but that's what it, it basically is. It's inverting stone cold sober, which is something that I heard, I don't know, hundreds of times when I was growing up. And I'm sure um, if the, your listeners are British, then they probably have too. And it's it's just not true. So I flipped it, <laughs> turned yeah. it on, on its head. <laughs> Yeah. So, so tell us, tell us a bit about what the, cause this is the other thing I think as well, when we, when we talk about changing our drinking, whether we're cutting down or whether we're stopping, all of our language is really negative, isn't it? It's about, it's about restriction and it's about reduction and it's about losing something. But actually one of the things which I love about your latest book and actually your original book is that you, you talk really positively about the benefits of change. Um, So what sort of, can you tell us, give us a flavor of what this sunshine, warm, sober is like in your life? What does that, what does it look and feel like? Oh, I mean, it feels, it feels amazing. And just going back to something you just touched on, because I think it's a really interesting point is we are raised to be drinkers by default. So therefore when, when the drinking is, um, goes, we feel deprived rather than emancipated, right? Mm-hmm. Because because it's almost like it's another food group. And if we don't drink, then, then we're, we're missing something. But actually, that is just our society. That's not all societies for a start. And it, it's an addition. It's not something that has been chipped away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see it like that, and I think what will be really interesting is to regard how the language will change as, as the volume of non-drinkers grows. Um, because do you remember when you used to have to, um, I don't know how old you are, you are, but in the, when, um, online dating first started and it wasn't even apps, it was just, you know, on websites, mm-hmm. uh, you had to describe yourself as a, as a non-smoker. You had to tick non-smoker yeah. Yeah. and now it would be the other way around. You would tick smoker because, mm-hmm. um, smokers are in the minority. It's, it's flipped. Yeah. And as, as the non-drinking becomes more and more common, which we already know that 29% of millennials apparently don't drink. Mm -hmm. Um, As it becomes more like half and half, it may be that you don't describe yourself as a non-drinker or teetotal or sober, that um, people will identify themselves as drinking. Because it is quite strange when you think about it, that we um, identify ourselves by the absence of something, by something we do not do. 
Yeah. Like I also don't um can't think of it. I don't do trapeze, but I don't describe <laughs> myself as a, as a non-trapezer. You know, it, it, it's just it's it's quite odd when you think about it, but yeah. it's just how we've been conditioned to think about it. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I mean the way that I think about being sunshine warm sober now is just I, I feel like I'm not being dragged down by something. My my drinking really had just become like another job. Like I would get home from work when I was drinking and then start the job of drinking. Um, and then the next day, just limp my way through the working day because I was, I was firing on half cylinders, if mm. that. And just life was so difficult. I was so tired all the time. I felt nauseous a lot of the time, um, craved carbs, you know, just had to eat cheesy brown things all the time mm. um, and also smoked because smoking and drinking often go hand in hand. So, yeah, so, I mean, it's very hard to sum it all up, as you know, but just everything about my life is better. Mm. I literally can't think of anything that isn't better from yeah. quitting drinking. And the only thing that I still can't do is karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> And that's okay. Oh, I love sober karaoke, <laughs> but you need you need you need good you need good, you need go to tracks. I think that's the thing. You know, you need you need confidence that you're going to be able to knock a bit of Mariah Carey out of the park. Yeah, that's maybe the... I just need to cultivate a go to track. Yeah, um... absolutely. Whitney's my favourite. You know, she's my local range. But to be fair, I don't think even when I was drunk, I enjoyed karaoke. So I'm not that kind of, I don't um, love singing apart from when I'm on my own, because I literally could, you know, kill people. If I was a, an evil superhero, that would probably be the way I would kill people um, through my time test singing. And um, yeah, it, it just wasn't my comfort zone, kind of standing up in front of a group of people, even if I knew them very well. So I used to get even more drunk to do it. So mm. yeah, it's no great loss for me, but I'm glad that I'm glad that you can bell out Mariah. <laughs> yeah. But isn't but isn't that isn't that so much the case actually? You know, um, I know that Laura, my co-founder in Club Soda, talks about this a lot in the context of sober socializing. You know, the number of parties that she stayed at that she wasn't enjoying, but that she got drunk so that she could tolerate it. You know, yeah. and isn't isn't there something about um and you and you write about this in in your latest book? book about recognizing that um not drinking being sober is our natural state that's who we are all the time um mm. and that um and that you know these situations that we force ourselves into by being drunk you know actually may be things that we don't love um and yeah. that, you know there's something about you know discovering who you are who you are um and becoming comfortable with who you are which is really part of this this journey this longer term journey of change you know once i've dealt with the, the drinking and the, the specific issues around habits and everything else. Ashley, who am I underneath it all? What's going on for me? Yeah, it, it is just about getting back to your real self and what you actually like doing. And yeah. I think so many introverts drink their way into being extroverts because they think that that's, that's the most likable version of them. Mm -hmm. And then when they quit, they discover that they've wound right back to that kind of 13 year old who, who feels awkward at parties and has to relearn how to socialize. And that was yeah. definitely the case for me. Yeah. Um, and now I just, I, I, I love that about myself. I'm not really that comfortable in big groups and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And so, so I'll go and normally leave after a bit. 
and that's okay. And people understand that now and they don't expect me to stay to the bitter end anymore. When I first quit, everyone's like, what, you're leaving? It's midnight. You normally stay till three. What's wrong? <laughs> and now they're like, okay, see you later. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that's fine. I connect with people much more um, uh, intimately and have much more of a laugh with people one-on-one. And that's just how I am. And yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's yeah. it's it's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in your in your latest book, so for the, for those who um, for those who are thinking about picking it up, you, you, this is really about years five, six, seven, a little bit of year eight for you of this of this journey of being sober. And I really like this thing that you say in the book. You say staying sober from year four on became, dare I say it, easy, but the less obvious yet more profound work began. And I wonder, could you give us a, an insight into some of the things that you discovered um, about yourself? Some of that. Some of that work for you in years years five six and seven what, what's been important to you in keeping going on this journey of change yeah sure because what happens after you complete three years sober is your chances of going back drop really quite dramatically to only 14 percent which is amazing right mm-hmm. But um, that's not zero. <laughs> so I think my my if I could sum it up, my task over the past four years has been making myself feel as safe as possible as I can from um, myself, from alcohol, from the whole drink pushing um, pressure around it. Um, and also from thinking that can lead to drinking. So, so that's probably one of the main themes in the book is the, um, mental uh, ruts that we get into that can lead back to drinking. Um, eventually might take months and months, but it may eventually lead there. And those for me are things like people pleasing, not asking for what I need, not setting boundaries. And also I had a lot of work to do around my childhood stuff. Um, because sorry, there's banging. <laughs> I hope you can't hear sorry. that. No, um, uh, because there's a, the chart topping predilection for addiction is childhood stuff. So it's a high number of traumatic experiences in childhood. And when people hear trauma, they, they think, Oh, that's not me. You know, my childhood was, yeah, it was definitely mixed, but it wasn't traumatic. So people are often surprised to learn what traumatic episodes look like and, and, um, that they probably do have quite a high number of them. So if you, yeah, if you have more than six, um, what they call adverse childhood experiences, then you are seven times more likely to become addicted later in life. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the work I've done over the past four years has been deeper and more profound and sometimes less fun, Mm -hmm. but just as important. Um, But there is lots of fun bits in the book too. It's just that, yeah, you really have to dig deep. And it felt like... um, uh, so when you when you first learn to dive, you can only go to 18 meters. And then when you get really, really good, really good and you become a dive master, you can go to 30 meters. So it felt like that. It felt mm-hmm. more awkward and you had to do a lot more prep and learn a lot more. But um, you get to go deeper as a result. And yeah, yeah now I just feel completely as safe as I can mm-hmm. and that I'll, I'll never go back. So it's yeah. it's a lovely way to feel. 
Yeah, absolutely. You've got this really nice phrase as well um, in your in your in your story about the hooked fish. I'll let people kind of discover that for themselves when they get into this book about being not fixed or finished. Um, yeah. And I think that's I think that's another really lovely attitude to have. Is you know, particularly if you if you're somebody right now who's wrestling with drinking, trying to work out how to change, how to stop, you know, how to get past a week, you know, all of that kind of very early day stuff. Alcohol is the big issue. You know, it feels like the big thing that you are wrestling with and need to to deal with. But then as you get some way through this journey, there is this moment of realization, isn't that, where you go, actually, the reason that I'm drinking, I was drinking before, is really incidental to alcohol. You know, mm-hmm. alcohol was a, was, a, was a solution to all of these problems. Now I'm faced with doing this work of dealing with the things which um, drove me to to drinking in the first place. And I, so I think that kind of attitude of I'm not fixed or finished, I'm still a work in progress, I've still got stuff to do, but I'm in a different place now. I think that's a really helpful attitude to have. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, over the past year or so, a lot of people who who um, may have joined Club Soda, who probably classified themselves as social drinkers before lockdown, will have discovered that they're not social drinkers after all, because the socialising was illegal, and yet they drank more. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're probably d- grappling with the realisation that they're more of an anxious drinker. Mm-hmm. And I think anxiety, um, and also boredom, but I... I didn't really like, really identify with the boredom bit is part of the reason why a lot of people drink. But then it's important also to recognize the interplay rather than just put it all on the person and say, your anxiety made you drink. Yeah. We also live in an ultra pressurized culture that presumes that we're going to grow up to be drinkers and literally gives, you know, our, our parents put alcohol in our hands, in, in my case, very young to, mm. to teach um, teenagers how to drink. So we, it's, it's an interplay of those two things. Yes, anxiety and introversion and things like that. And also extroversion, interestingly, which mm-hmm. blows the idea of an addictive personality out of the water do predispose you to becoming hooked on alcohol or other substances. But um, we also live in this society where it's thrown at us at every opportunity, you know, even at play dates and things like that. And it's very addictive. So it's it's both of those things combined. It's both, yeah. um, it's both our mental states and the society we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the in the book, you you're edging into your eighth year um, sober. So 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 tell us a little bit about that. What's what's what does your future look like? Do you think from this point? Yeah. So um, I, it's a bit confusing. I found it hard to get my head around this myself. I'm in my eighth year, but I will be eight years <laughs> in September. So I'll I'll have completed eight year, eight years, yeah. and then I'm and then I'm in my ninth year. Yeah. I was like, is that right? That yeah, no, no, that's right. how birthdays work. Yeah. That's how birthdays work. You, 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 you turn one at the end of your first year of being that's alive. That's true, that's true. Yeah. So I'm glad you've confirmed that's right. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I I love it and I'm never going to go back. So it's um, it's a it's a way of life for me. And it it well, everyone should know this, that it just gets easier and easier and easier as you mm. go on. And even when you're clobbered, like a couple of weeks ago, we um, lost a member of my family. Even when you're knocked sideways by grief, you you now have all these other coping strategies mm-hmm. to pick up, all these other tools that you pick up. Yeah. And it literally didn't even occur to me to have a drink when uh, that happened. And I never would have, could have, 
imagined in my wildest dreams that that would be the case because it was just my automatic go-to coping strategy, Mm. soothing mechanism. Um, but it's just a case of rewiring and rewriting your habits and um, pointing yourself towards things that don't aren't alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Um, which, but it's so savage in the beginning. It really is, and I really feel for people who are in early recovery because it is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm here to tell you that it's worth it. And that's, um, that's- yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. I just just another thing that you write you write in the book, which I I loved. You say I have a big, beautiful life to lead, even though on the surface it's actually pretty simple and modest. We're allowed to move beyond our addictions to enjoy our newfound, wild, and precious freedom. I think it's just that's such a beautiful sentiment. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I think I think that it's important not to. I mean, for instance, this is a good parallel with the childhood trauma therapy. I did that for six months, I think, um, quite intensively. And then I stopped because I think you can get in a bit of a whirlpool where you're just going around and around and around the same issues and not allowing yourself to catapult into the next waters. That's not mm-hmm. a perfect metaphor, but we'll just go with it. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> so it, 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 we should be allowed to advance beyond that and leave it behind um, once we've done the work. So I think it's important to be allowed to move on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, as we say, your new book is, is out now. Um, just to remind people, tell people about the title of the book, where, where they can find it. Yeah, sure. It's, um, Sunshine Warm Sober and it's from all good bookshops. And if they're in the States or internationally, then I know that Blackwell's and Book Depository do free international shipping. Because it, depending on where they are, um, they might have to wait for the book if they mm-hmm. stick to official channels. So that's a bit of a cheat, yeah. uh, legal cheat, I might add. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if people and if people want to connect with you online, where the, where can they find you? Uh, on Instagram is where I do most of my uh, chatting because I don't like Twitter's cut off. I'm I'm a bit of a waffler. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, Instagram at unexpected joy off. Brilliant. Um, Catherine, thank you ever so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Club Soda. You can find out more about what we do on joinclubsoda.com and on our social handles at joinclubsoda.com.